Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? So in a completely unprecedented moment in our relationship, we were having dinner last week and the topic of the vaccine, the COVID vaccine came up. And this is the first time that we have disagreed on something. If the vaccine were made available, let's say tomorrow, would you take it? And I said, absolutely, yes. And Madvi said, no. We obviously had to discuss this, especially since on Wednesday when we were on a Zoom call, we asked the group of women who were on the call with if they would take it. And I think it was also 50-50 split. Just to qualify that a little bit, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and I did then in the discussion say I would just wait and see what happened to Rena first, and then I might take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should emphasize Madvi's not an anti-vaxxer. And I'm not the only one that's hesitant. Polling last month showed that 58% of US adults were willing to get vaccinated against the coronavirus, and a Pew Research Center poll in September found that 51% of Americans said they would definitely or probably get a corona vaccine. And an article in the Washington Post recently, which talked about doctors and nurses and their attitudes to whether they would get vaccinated or not, because doctors and nurses would be in the first line to get vaccinated. New Jersey said last week that its data showed that 66% of the state's doctors plan to receive the vaccine, which means that 34%. Did not. Among professionals contacted by the state, some did not want to be in the first round, so they could wait and see if there were potential side effects. A report released recently by the University of California, researchers said that 66% of Los Angeles healthcare workers who responded in an online questionnaire said that they would also delay taking the vaccine. And the American Nurses Association also said that one third of its members do not intend to take the vaccine and an additional third are undecided. So it's quite a mixed bag of results. And obviously a lot of them are not anti-vaxxers. They're the people who actually promote vaccination most. In a similar vein, I asked a friend of mine who's a doctor if she would take the vaccine and she said yes. And then you had exactly the opposite. Yeah, a doctor that my mum knows told her not to take it. And so I think we had this discussion about like whether our parents, whether we would tell our parents to take it or not. I know there were questions about whether the older population were being tested on, you know, to see whether this was working or not. We don't know from Moderna and the Pfizer data how much of the proportion of those people who were tested on were of the older population. So we don't know that. We also don't know what the effect of these vaccinations are on children. We don't know on pregnant women. Children and pregnant women have not been included in tests, as far as I can see. I also have the concern that the Oxford vaccine, for example, which was tested in England, there are not a lot of ethnic minorities tested in that. So how does that play out? So yeah, all of those things we're not sure about, which is why I would just maybe even not advise my parents to take it either. I was talking to my grandma, who's 92, about the vaccine, and she said she wouldn't take it, not because she's hesitant about the vaccine, but she was because like, oh, I've lived my life. I'm 92. Let the young people take it so they could go out and enjoy their lives. 
when you put it like that, I I can understand being hesitant about side effects and could just repeat back everything you just said. I understand why would one be hesitant. But at the same time, we need at least 70% of the population to take it so that we can have a herd immunity. So if we want to move forward in the world, we have to get a significant amount of people to take it. The testing revealed the efficacy of the vaccine when it comes to the disease. So it means how many people actually got the disease when they had the vaccine compared to how many people got the disease when they didn't have the vaccine. And for this, Moderna and Pfizer are claiming it's 95% effective. I'll go into the stats in a minute to kind of explain that. But there is no data or evidence to show how this affects infection. So you can not show symptoms of the disease or have the disease, but you can still go around infecting people. Really? Yes. And so one of the really big risks about everyone just taking the vaccine and then going about their normal lives without any masks is that actually the virus could potentially explode. I mean, this is just stuff that we simply don't really know right now. There's a lot of misinformation. Not, not like misinformation, but this when I say, oh, that life can continue on, I don't mean that like, oh, well, I'll take the vaccine and then tomorrow it will continue like it was before the pandemic. Of course, we still need to take necessary steps to sort of phase out of the current world we're living in. No, I agree. We need to figure out a way out of this and a vaccine is one of the best solutions to the problem. But it's like a piece of the pie. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like it's, I do worry about people thinking, oh, we're all going to get vaccinated. And then within two weeks, everything will be normal again. We'll be back to living our sad little grueling lives under capitalism when obviously that's not the case. I think that the danger around the conversation around the corona vaccine is this sort of weird meshing of vaccine hesitancy and people who are genuinely anti-vaxxers. Because I feel like they're, we're, we're treading on very dangerous territory, but it's very easy to intermingle because we have a lot of conspiracy theories of people who don't even believe that corona is real. Yeah, obviously there's the conspiracy theorists. But what's interesting, like you can see with the statistics on the general population, is that it's not stepping into anti-vaxxer territory completely because of three things. I think, number one, this is the fastest vaccine ever to be developed in the history of medicine. Number two is the first RNA vaccine ever, the Moderna and Pfizer ones. Number three is it's a new virus that we don't actually really know much about. Even there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about how corona might be making your teeth fall out and stuff like this. And number four, we have not seen the data from Moderna or Pfizer. All they've released so far is press releases. And as we could see from one of the main, there's the Moderna vaccine, there's the Pfizer vaccine, and then there's the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. And just in the last week, the Oxford vaccine, which they said was 90% effective, has now gone down to 62 or 70% on average because they messed up with the dosage. So the 90% they were referring to was actually to a mistaken half dose that they gave about 2,000 something people, 600 people, something like that, which is a really small sample. And also nobody really knows why the half dose is more effective than the full dose and all of this sort of stuff. So there is a lot of stuff that we just do not know. And we don't know about the methods either that have been used to test it. In response to number one, in particular, when you were saying this is the fastest a vaccine has ever been developed, I think there's a misconception about the way that vaccines are developed, because one of the reasons why it takes such a long time is, is because there's so much red tape and they have to wait for funding. And then it's very, very difficult to get people to volunteer for studies. So 
a process gets drawn out unnecessarily long. This is, I think, the first time since the 80s in polio that people have worked around the globe, around the clock, to develop a vaccine. So there's no red tape, funding available, people have volunteered to be test subjects. So the process hasn't been rushed. It's just gone a lot faster because bureaucracy has been moved out of the way. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Actually, when I was doing the research, I found that there was this NPR Harvard panel that I watched. And one of the people there said, actually, the reason that this vaccine has been developed so fast is that it goes back to 9-11 when there was the attack and then there's the anthrax attack. And then they did an assessment in the U.S., about risk of pandemic and they realized that there was a lot of risks so then Bard and other organizations got together and did these links with companies and funding and all of that that was that long ago that they started putting these processes in place to develop a thing so fast the RNA just to explain it is they take it's not DNA but they take something like a genetic sampling of the virus and then they inject it into your body and basically your body makes a little corona in there it's got a little spiky corona thing, and then that makes a sort of immune response. And it's a really new and effective way of making vaccines, which is different from the Oxford vaccine, which is more of a traditional way of making vaccines too. So that's partly it, because it's new technology. And they are aiming now with vaccines to get them all done in like a period of six months because of this new technology. And that was done in about six months. I have a friend who has actually volunteered to be part of the trials. Like, I think that that's a lot of the common misconception also is that because people are just hearing about these vaccines now that they think that they're just going into trials now. She started being given the vaccine in May. So it has been in trials for six months Mm -hmm. already. And this is just one of the big ones that's been developed. And she told me that she has had had no long-term side effects. She said that when she got the vaccine, it hurts a little bit. She says she felt crappy for a couple of hours after getting it, but a friend of hers had it much worse. She felt really bad, like she'd been punched in the arm for a couple of days afterwards. And she says that, well, she has to do weekly questionnaires. She's given the test weekly to see whether or not she has corona. So she has to fill out a form about what she's been doing and how many people she's been in contact in. So they're like really monitoring all of these things. Yeah, you're right about the tests. So Pfizer had 44,000 volunteers of that group. It recorded 170 COVID cases. So 162 of them were in the placebo group versus eight in the vaccine group. And Moderna had 30,000 volunteers, 90 people on the placebo got COVID versus five receiving the vaccine. And that leads to about like 95% efficacy. In the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, which is run by the British Medical Association, it's a peer-reviewed medical journal. Peter Doshi, who is the associate editor, writes a bit about this. He's an assistant professor of pharmaceutical health services research at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, And he focuses on policies related to drug safety and effectiveness evaluation. So he did the numbers, not me. He said, if you put these numbers into perspective, the relative risk reduction that is being reported, not the absolute risk reduction, which appears to be less than 1%, it did not test the abilities, as I've said, of the vaccine to save lives or to prevent infection. But he also points out something really interesting about the method. We don't know much about exactly all the data has not been released it has not been peer-reviewed in medical journals as it really should be at some point Pfizer and Moderna have said that they are absolutely going to do this they've now applied for emergency approval 
And after that, they say they're going to release all their results of the phase three testing. But what's kind of really interesting is... So he points out that the Oxford tests, for example, did weekly swab tests, whereas Moderna, when they split between the placebo group and the people who had been vaccinated, they told people who were testing for the virus, they told them to use their judgment when it came to testing the people who had had the vaccine, because the people who had had the vaccine, obviously, they would display some of the symptoms of COVID, which means that it was up to somebody to just decide whether they would test that person or not, which is a bit faulty in terms of methodology because it's not equal, right? Mm. It's a bit weird because they could have had it, but they just weren't tested on the assumption that they were displaying the symptoms of the vaccine. But that kind of leads me into the sort of next thing that I got really hung up on was this idea of, well, where does this like anti-vaccination movement come from anyway? And Professor Heidi Larson who is an anthropologist at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, as a leading expert on why a significant portion of the globe feel hesitant to take vaccines. She says that it's kind of the lack of empathy towards the public and their concerns, which pushes people to be anti-vax. She emphasizes that responding negatively towards people with genuine questions is sort of accelerating this process. And to quote her, she says, people fear they are being judged, called names, just for asking questions. And Dr. Jonathan Kennedy, who is an expert in global public health, investigates the link between trust in government and hesitancies about vaccines. And he analyzed voting data and surveys on public confidence in vaccines across 14 countries and found that countries with higher support for populist government also had higher mistrust in vaccines. He says, populist sentiment is distrust in elites and experts. The forces driving scientific populism are similar to the forces driving political populism. He argues there's a strong relationship between vaccine hesitancy and political and economical and social crisis. We tend to judge people who are anti-vax really quickly. So if we're not meeting people with empathy, you push them towards the other side. Again, not to say, you know, that's what we have to do, but it's sort of a... That's interesting between governments and mistrust. Because in the Washington Post article where they were talking to doctors and nurses who are generally not anti-vaxxers at all, they said that they feared that the trials had been rushed or that these figures and the data that was coming out was because of maybe it was politicized in a way, you know. And it's kind of true that the whole coronavirus, how every single government has approached it, and of course everything is linked, you know, everything is political in the end. There was the election coming up in the US, there was this pressure to get the vaccine, there was the stock markets are linked in this. If you want to know more about the stock markets, we explain it in our last episode, kind of. There's shareholders for each of these pharmaceutical companies at stake. There's a lot of money invested. Governments like Boris Johnson said that the Oxford vaccine was a great thing for British science research and ordered like 100 million bucks worth of the stuff. I mean is a lot of pressure and there's a lot of politics involved in it too, which is not necessarily conspiracy theory politics. It's just kind of reasonable as well to just be like, okay, unless I see the data, see who's been tested. like. But I guess the, the point that I was trying to make is that if the people who are at the forefront of the conversation around vaccines are either like crazy Trump fans or whatever it might be in whatever country or anti-vaxxers, people with genuine concerns will be like, well, I don't want to be associated with them and might feel alienated and not understood and judged. So 
the conversation needs to be ha- like we need to totally. have a broader discussion and we need to stop totally totally and i th- and i feel we do that a lot and yeah there are genuine concerns with this also there's no phase 4 of phase 4 is basically you follow the people around for two years, you don't follow them, you don't stalk them, but you know, you keep track of them and see how many of them, you know, commit suicide or run over by cars. And then you try and prove that that wasn't the fault of the vaccine. That hasn't been done yet. So that hasn't been done that, which like you say, I think it's really reasonable that so much money, the technology that this has been developed so fast, but then just with terms of time, those two years or those Pfizer and Moderna have both committed to two years of monitoring. And I think Oxford one year. So, I mean, that's still within the process, and that process is not completed yet. Do you know that the guy who started the anti-vax movement is this British guy called Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who in 1998 released a paper linking the measles vaccine to autism, and since then it has been obviously disproven, and his results were shown to be corrupt, and it was revealed that he actually altered facts about the patients within the study to get the results that he wanted. But the thing that kind of, when I was reading about it, I couldn't help but think of them like, what a shitty thing to say about autistic people. In this conversation, everyone's like, it causes autism. Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's part of a larger problem within our community and our lack of empathy in the way we frame things. The anti-vaxxers thing is mostly seen in the UK as crazy women who don't want to get their children immunized, also in the US. I think, first of all, the responsibility for every child's health falls to women. So, I mean... Men are just not involved in this process at all. Let's just talk about that for a minute and the problems of that. The other thing is that women in the medical establishment have consistently, their pain has not been taken seriously. They have not been taken into account when it comes to like medical research for drugs. The testing for drugs is not as rigorous as as vaccines because vaccines are applied to the whole population where drugs are, people are already sick. But for example, there was an article in The Guardian ages ago that just said, most medicines until really, really recently, and probably still even now, are tested on male mice because female mice have hormones, which makes them in medical terms kind of unstable because, you know, these hormones are always changing. So they just haven't bothered testing them on female mice, which then affects how the dosage works, the effects, the side effects on women. And so a lot of the medical establishment is all seen through this male gaze is all focused on men. There's more research on erectile dysfunction in men, which affects one in 10 men, than there is in PMS in women, which affects nine out of 10 women. And then no wonder that women are distrustful of the medical establishment because they're not being listened to. They have no control. It's not working for them. And then in the end, they're like, oh, I'm going to trust myself. No, I can kind of see that with like the world also we're living in. You don't know who to trust. There's so much fake news. That's why I wouldn't say straight off that I would take a thing. I would look at it for myself as much as possible and ask a bunch of people, see how many people drop dead from the thing, and then I would take it. When you were talking about women in medicine, so what is considered to be the first attempts at making a calendar was attributed to men, and it wasn't until a female anthropologist came along and pointed out that this calendar marks every 28 days, and which man is keeping track of 28 days. All women listening will know what happens every 28 days. So women's contribution or women's bodies and our biology has just always flatly been ignored. So on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. So when it comes to getting the vaccine or not, one thing that this pandemic has taught us that it's not just about 
ourselves and our own personal preferences, we do have to make a judgment and see how all of us are linked. And like Rena says, we need 70%. And so we have to think of ourselves and also everyone else that this affects at the same time when we're judging whether to do that or not. Think too, when you're reading about the coronavirus vaccine, make sure to be critical of what you're reading and check the sources. But at the same time, keep in mind, there isn't a massive conspiracy theory out there to turn you all for or against the corona vaccine, and corona's definitely real. And thing three, when it comes to using your judgment as well, I think it's really important what we've seen here in Berlin is there was a lockdown, everyone was terrified in the house, then the government announced, oh, you can all go out and play, and everyone just went out and played really irresponsibly. But in reality, nothing had really changed. And then now we're kind of a semi-lockdown situation again and a lot of people are either really not doing anything or just going out and just going crazy. I think there has to be a balance and a judgment to everything you do because the government's rules, like in the UK, they also have their own agenda that they want to keep the economy going and stuff like that. But you can work within that but still have personal responsibility. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events, and links to all our sources, references, and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud, or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.